Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. As I was preparing this message today, I was searching for a way to uh, maybe say things differently because I am aware that there are a lot of people in our church who boldly speak the word of God. It's part of their daily lives and they, and they reap the results. But I'm also aware that there are people in our church who believe in these things but actually confessing and speaking the word of God on a daily and and throughout the day basis is just not part of their habit. It's just not something they consciously and intentionally do and therefore they don't do it. And yet we come to church and we agree on these things and we know they're important because we can see them from the Bible. But the doing of it, Remember uh, when Moses uh, spoke that word that Paul uh, quotes in Romans 10 about the word, you know, Moses said, it's not mysterious and it's not far away from you. It's right in your heart and in your mouth that you might do it. So I, I was searching for a way and, uh, you know, my, my wife uh, has certain dishes that she cooks and oh, are they good. And I like them. I like the way she cooks. I, she has some, some specialty uh, dishes that she does that I like and our family likes. Every now and then, she, she has this idea that, that she needs to do something a little different. To kind of jazz it up, you know. And we need that from time to time. Anything that we have uh, needs to be made fresh. Truth is that way. Truth is that way. Even though I, I, I started eating, uh, when, I, when I eat a steak, I go to a restaurant and eat a steak, I don't think I've had more than a half dozen other cuts besides filet mignon in the last 25 years. Probably, probably a half dozen times have I had uh, a ribeye or, 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 a, or just, a, just a regular sirloin or something. I always order a filet mignon because that's what I like. But you know, different restaurants have different ways of preparing it. And I like this restaurant, and I like the way they do it. I like another restaurant, I like the way they do it. And this other person over this other place, I don't go over there because they, they ruin it. Well, in preaching, sometimes you need to say things a different way, put, put a, baste it a little bit differently, marinate it a little bit differently. And so I was searching for this, and, uh, and I believe the Lord helped me. And uh, I believe that, that we will see some things about confession today in a light that we've not seen it before that will help you. So uh, 
Believe God with me. Amen. Let's read, let's read our foundational scriptures real quick. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And Hebrews chapter 10. We'll read Hebrews 4 first. And it is in verse number 14. Not reading the whole passage, just taking this verse. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Now, when he's talking about holding fast our confession, he's talking about holding fast our confession as Jesus, as the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Then turn over to the 10th chapter. In verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. The older King James says, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. And I personally believe believe that's a better rendering and a more accurate rendering of this verse. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. Because you see, wavering is the opposite of faith. Remember that? How Abraham uh, was strong in faith and did not waver. So you can see in the, in the way this is written that it's talking about holding fast the confession of faith with no wavering for he who promised is faithful. And then this is our main text today. And we're going to explore this more than we have in the past and, and just look at it differently. And that's in Romans chapter 10. I encourage you to pay attention, open your ears, your spiritual ears. Starting verse number eight, it says, this is Romans 10, eight, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You'll see here that the experience of salvation rests upon two principles. One, believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. But what does it mean? What does it mean to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead? And what does it mean to confess with your mouth? Well, when he says... Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You know, Paul wrote this passage to the Romans, the the Christians in Rome, who were already saved. They already had been born again. They had already done the two things he's talking about here. So the, the, the transaction of salvation had already taken place. And he didn't go into all of the detail because he's writing to people who 
understood what he was talking about. But when it says, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, to get a fuller understanding of that, hold your place and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is really the fuller version of what he was talking about when he said, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. In chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 3, he said, for I delivered to you, he's writing to, again to Christians, to the church at Corinth. Remember, he had gone to Corinth and, and preached and uh, it was a mighty uh, work of God there and a lot of people got saved. He said, well, I delivered to you all first uh, of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So he presented the scriptures to them about Christ dying for their sins. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So when Paul preached the gospel, the gospel that Paul preached and the others preached was about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, his... uh, his, his redeeming work. How that he went to the cross and he bore our sins as the Lamb of God. How he died and they took his body down and laid it in the tomb and he was, he was buried, he was dead. Not just dead, but buried. Three days later, God raised him from the dead. Well, all of that is encompassed in Romans chapter 10, you can turn back over there. In Romans chapter 10, when he said, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You understand he's talking about the whole package. He's talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He didn't just, you know, uh, go into all of that detail every time he wrote a letter to people who already knew what he was talking about. And we know what he's talking about. And we've believed in the death And the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he, but then he said, before he said that, he said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and this is what I really, this is the, the, what I want to get into today. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Now, a lot of modern translations say this a little, a little differently and they, and it, and it makes it a little clearer. I mean, I looked in my, in my computer, I have all these different translations and I just started clicking one after another and every one, I just stopped after about six. Every time I'm talking about the Amplified, the NIV, the, the New American Standard, the, the, uh, 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 so on, different, different translations. They all say something like this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord or Jesus is Lord. So we know that's what that means. But the way it's written uh, in the King James is very literal. And even the new King James in that they, they don't get things ahead of, of words ahead of other words. And it, and it literally says, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. 
Here's my concern, and I've had this concern for a long time. They've been scratching on me for a long, long time. And, uh, uh, and, and I wasn't really sure exactly how to explain this, but let me put it this way. I'm concerned that our salvation message, our witnessing, and our tactics in bringing people to Christ... We get them to believe that Jesus, you know, is, is the Son of God, that he's the Savior, he died for their sins, and, and God raised him from the dead. And then we focus on having them repeat these words, Jesus is Lord. There is a danger in that practice even in the way we understand it, certainly in the ears of the, of the, of the uh, salvation candidate, there is the danger that Jesus is Lord becomes almost like a magical saying. Like, like, an, like, like an incantation, almost like abracadabra. If you believe in your heart and then say these words, abracadabra, you'll be saved. And Jesus is Lord is like that abracadabra. You following me? That's not what this means. In fact, a person doesn't have to say Jesus is Lord in order to be saved. I'll prove it to you. It's the concept of, that we need to look at. I was saved as a child, about seven years old, six or seven years old, I guess. I know I was saved. I never heard anybody tell me that you have to say Jesus is Lord. I never heard that. It was never preached. Can I get a witness? I didn't hear. I didn't. I didn't hear this till I got around Word of Faith people. But I know I was saved. Well, how did I get saved? <laughs> Good question. Now. Confessing that Jesus. Confessing Jesus as Lord is confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the main message that the apostles preached. Go with me over to John. Let's start with the apostle John. Let's go back to the, and I already had this in my notes before I got up here this morning and used this text. John chapter 20. John 20. And what was the verse we looked at? Verse 30. John 20, verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other things, or in many other signs, rather, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
And then what I was emphasizing this morning is, and that believing you may have faith in his name. But notice John said, all of the things I've written in this gospel, all of the signs, everything I've, I've given you in this gospel have been written that you may believe that Jesus, see, Jesus was the name of a man. A physical, flesh and blood human being. And the point was that this Jesus is the Christ. And as the Christ, he is the Son of God. Go with me. That's John's testimony. Let's, let's get Peter's testimony. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Verse 36. This is on the day of Pentecost. You know, they had everybody's attention. Verse 36 says, Therefore, this is Peter's summary of this message that he preached that's contained here in these previous verses. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. It was a very powerful statement. Very powerful statement. We'll see a little more in just a minute. Go over to the fifth chapter, Acts chapter 5. Look at verse number 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Remember Peter said, know that the house of Israel know it surely that God has made this Jesus whom you, not somebody, Jesus was a common name. But, all of Israel was alert to this Jesus. And just so they'd be sure, he said, you all need to know that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Here he's saying, we did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So that was Peter's testimony. Let's see Paul's testimony. Go to the ninth chapter of Acts. <coughs> <coughs> You remember in, ninth, in the ninth chapter of Acts, we have the story of, of, of Saul's, uh, Paul, you know, Saul who became Paul. Saul was persecuting the church and how the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He went into Damascus and Ananias came and laid his hands on him and so forth. Uh, so after, after scales had fallen from Saul's eyes, he received sight, he was baptized. Verse 19 says, so when he had received food, because he had been without food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. The Jews were looking for the Messiah, the word Christ in the, in the Greek, Christo, is the equivalent of the Old Testament term Messiah. 
They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Christ to come. But they didn't have the revelation that he was actually God. Immediately, Paul preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Now, not the Son of God in the way that you have a son that's not you. Jesus declared himself to be the Son of God. And the Jews immediately took offense because they said, by by calling yourself the Son of God, you're saying you're equal with God. You are God. And he agreed with them. said, yep, that's right. So the Son of God is, is saying that he is God. So this was fundamental to the message of the church. But also... This was in my notes too. They also believed on the name of Jesus. They believed that this Jesus, whom had been crucified, God had raised from the dead, and now he was was Lord, he was God, he was the Son of God. But they, they believed on his name, like I said earlier, and this is already in my notes, the name of Jesus and the place his name had in the early church was, was far greater than it is in, in, in the modern church. Go back to Acts chapter 2. We were there in verse 36. Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent, Acts 2, 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Literally, in the Greek, it says repent. Every one of you be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. That's the way that actually reads in the Greek. When they baptized people in the early church in water baptism, they baptized them into the name of Jesus. They understood that the name of, that they were becoming a part with the Lord Jesus. And that name was, was, was fundamental to everything they believed. It was fundamental to their salvation. Because God made Jesus the man, Jesus. God raised him from the dead and made him to be the Christ. Declared him to be the son of God with power. And his name is Jesus. So over in Romans chapter 10, where it says, believe in your heart, that God raised him there, or, or the first part of that verse, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. You're confessing Jesus as Lord. The Lord is who he is. Jesus is his name. The Lord is his position. Jesus is who he is. Put it that way. It's this Jesus. 
He is Lord. Now, I said that you can be saved without saying Jesus is Lord. Uh, wait a minute before I do that, because I, I always like to give good scriptural foundation. This, this, this point that I was on, they were baptized in the name, into the name of Jesus Christ. Let's go over to chapter 4 and look at verse number 8. This is just giving us more information about the, the place the name had. Verse number 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man by which means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, just so you don't get him confused with, with Jesus from somewhere else, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Can't be done any other way. Now you go back over to Romans chapter 10. Notice this. Notice in verse number nine, he says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and then believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, notice verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That corresponds with believing that God raised him from the dead. Skip down two, two verses, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That corresponds with the confessing, confessing him as Lord. So it was calling, it wasn't just calling on God. It was distinctly calling on Jesus that resulted in people being saved. It's the same thing today. People say, well, I believe in God. Yeah, that's not good enough. Believing in God's not good enough. Yeah, but I believe in the God of the Old Testament. It's not good enough. I believe in the God of the New Testament. not good enough. Who do you believe on. You believe on Jesus. And then you confess him as Lord. Now let's look at, let's look at uh, Peter's confession. Go with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Peter's confession is very significant. When verse number 13, it says, When, Peter, when Jesus rather came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist. Because John, you know, had been killed and maybe they thought he'd come back to life. Some say you're Elijah. Others, you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He said then to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ the son of the living God. Christianity early on in the early centuries was called the great confession. And it was based on this. Primarily, there are other examples, but it was based primarily on Peter's bold assertion, his bold confession that Jesus, you are the Christ, 
the son of the living God. Notice he didn't use the words, Jesus is Lord. But it's the same thing. I'll I'll demonstrate that in a minute. Go with me over to, uh, go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. You remember the story in the latter part of Acts chapter 8 after the great revival there uh, in Samaria that Philip left and went out into the wilderness and he saw this chariot and the Spirit said, join yourself to this chariot. And when he got over there, he found that, that it was the uh, entourage of uh, uh, an emissary that had been sent from the queen of Ethiopia and this Egyptian, uh, Ethiopian uh, rather, this eunuch was a man of high authority and, and very uh, uh, important place in, in the government. And the Lord said, join yourself to this char- chariot. In other words, get up close. And when he got up to the chariot, when, when Philip ran up and, and started running alongside this chariot, he heard this Ethiopian official reading from the book of Isaiah. And the place, verse 32, and the place in the scriptures which he read was this, he was led of a sheep at, as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth, and his humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. That's reading from Isaiah. So the eunuch, uh, you know, Philip asked him, you know, uh, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 30. He said, how can I? Unless somebody guides me. So so he he asked... uh, Philip, he said in verse 34, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. So that means he started there in Isaiah, went all through the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, how Jesus is the Lamb of God and how he bore our sins and and carried our iniquities and, and how he was... Uh, the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes were healed. Preached all that to him. So we don't know how long this lasted and how many scriptures he gave him. But it says that time passed by and as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? So he had talked to him about water baptism. So this is a pretty far ranging Bible lesson he gave him. Water baptism is important. If you've been born again, you need to be baptized in water. And we do that right here. If you haven't been baptized in water, let us know. You you, you need to follow the Lord in water baptism. See, here's water. What does hinder me from being baptized? Now, notice what Philip said. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. I like that. The emphasis isn't bearing down And just trying to believe more. In other words, it's total heart persuasion. Christianity isn't based on trying God out. Well, I'm going to try out this Jesus. You don't qualify. Amen. It's believing with all your heart. In other words, you have, it takes illumination by the Spirit. That's why Jesus said to Peter, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. 
You didn't get this from your grandma. You didn't get it from your friends. You didn't read it in the newspaper. It isn't a story you heard. He said, my father revealed this to you. Of course, he does that today by the spirit. That's believing in your heart. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Well, believe what? Believe that Jesus is the son of God. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Philip and the unit went down into the water and he baptized him and then the rest is history. But here's the thing I want you to see. His confession was, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Notice here he didn't use the word Christ. Because Christ, the son of God and Lord all mean the same thing. And here's why. The Greek word for Lord, kudios, kudios. Let me read, read what one Greek scholar wrote about this. This is from Weist Word Studies in the Greek New Testament. He said the name Lord is kudios, which in the Greek version of the Old Testament, you remember the, 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 in the time of Christ, they had an Old Testament, but it was, it was translated in Greek, not in Hebrew. And it was called the Septuagint. And, and the abbreviation is L, capital L, capital X, capital X, LXX. That refers to the version of the Old Testament they read. We says the name Lord is kudios, which in the, which in the Greek version of the Old Testament Septuagint, is used for the august name of Jehovah. Where the name of Jehovah was in the Hebrew, the Greek New Testament used the word kudios, Lord. By its use, it implies deity. Thus to confess Jesus as Lord includes a heart, includes a heart belief in his deity, his incarnation, his vicarious atonement and bodily resurrection. Right now, Weist is quoting another Greek scholar by the name of Robertson. Robertson says, no Jew would do this who had not really trusted in Christ for kudios in the Septuagint is used of God. No Jew would confess that Jesus is Lord. Unless they had a real revelation. Because to do so, you just separated, you just severed yourself from Judaism. You just separated yourself from the temple, from the synagogue, from all of your family. You're saying that Jesus is God. He goes on to say, no Gentile would confess Jesus as kudios who had not ceased worshiping the emperor as kudios. Because they call, the emperor called himself kudios, the Lord, the supreme one. So the, the term Lord, kudios, for someone to confess Jesus as kudios, meant you're saying Jesus is the Christ, he is the son of the living God, and he is the Lord of all. So it's much more than a little, a little formula that we get people to repeat these words, Jesus is, it's bigger than that. And, and here's the thing that's so powerful about it. 
The act of of regeneration does not occur until we declare with our mouth that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can believe it. You can believe. You hear the gospel, you're enlightened. A lot of people come to that point. But remember in Jesus' day, it said many believed on him, but because of the fear of the Jews, they would not confess him. There's something so powerful in the operation of heaven, in the spirit realm, that whenever you are enlightened, a person is enlightened, when you became enlightened, that Jesus is the Savior. He is He is the Christ. He's God and he died for my sins and he was raised from the dead. You're you're almost there. But that transaction is not finalized until you make a bold declaration with your mouth. Usually that's done in the sinner's prayer. That's why we lead them in the sinner's prayer. We, we counsel a person and, and witness to them till we're satisfied that they believe. And then we lead them in a, in a sinner's prayer so that they can say with their mouth. And a lot of times it just says, I, I received the Lord Jesus as my Savior. Presto. If you believe all of this in your heart, it's the saying of it. It's the same. It's not a magic formula in the spirit realm. It's, it's, it's a declaration that heaven has to have out of your mouth. It, it, it places you. It takes you out of the kingdom of darkness and puts you into the kingdom of light. It takes you off the fence and puts you in God's control. In the, in the realm of the things of God, there is no having anything without saying it. There isn't, there isn't any having anything without saying what you believe. Now I'm going to run over a few minutes. Will you stay with me? When you prayed the sinner's prayer, you weren't informing God what you believed. He already knew what you believed. The Bible says God searches the hearts. He knows exactly what you believe. He knew it before you confessed. He knew what you believed. So you weren't praying the sinner's prayer in order to enlighten God. Here's what I believe. You were making a confession that sealed your salvation. With a heart man believes, but with the mouth, confession is made confirming his salvation. It's what seals it. Now, hallelujah. This may take a few minutes. You gonna stay with me? I won't say it won't take an hour or half an hour, but it's gonna take maybe ten minutes. I don't know. Go with me over to Matthew again. Go to Matthew chapter sixteen again. Peter answered, you are the Christ. This is verse 16. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, you're Lord then. That's what Lord means. (laughs) 
They read the Septuagint, the Greek translation. This is what they read in the synagogues. And so, Lord was the name of God. Jehovah of the Old Testament was called Kudios. It's all the same thing. Now, here's what Jesus said. He answered and said to, to, to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say, I also say to you, that you are Peter, and on this rock. Now, you know this, that there's a play on words there. The Greek word for Peter is Petra, and the larger word is Petros, or it may be backwards. I didn't look it up again today, I don't remember. But one means a small stone, and the other means a huge rock like Gibraltar. It's massive rock. So he's, 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 he said, now Peter, you're the small rock, but here's this massive rock on which I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, a lot of discussion over, well, what is the rock? What is the rock? Because Jesus didn't say. He just said, this is the rock, but he didn't say, this what? Obviously, now the Catholic Church believes that Peter was the rock. And so the doctrine of apostolic succession flows out of that, that Peter was the head of the church in, 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 uh, you know, in, the, in the New Testament, and that he was the first pope, and that this uh, papal authority has been passed from one pope to another down through the years, and, and they're the rock. That's not what that's saying. There's no other, that's, that's ridiculous. Well, what is the rock? Now, I heard this preacher say this, and, and for many years I believed it because I just took it. But he said, Revelation knowledge is the rock because he said flesh and blood is not revealed. Well, he, Jesus did talk about revelation knowledge in verse number 17. But what's the whole discussion about? Back up and, and, and read again. What were they discussing? Jesus, out of the clear blue, asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, this lowly human being, who do men say that I am? He said, well, some say you're, you know, John the Baptist. Some say you're, you know, different ones. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jesus said, who do you say? I, who do you say? Who do you say? Who do you say? Who do you say I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the rock. That's what was under discussion. He said, you didn't get this from your mama. You didn't get this from the newspaper. My father in heaven is the one revealed this to you. And, and he said, your, your name is Peter. But on this big rock that, you just, that just came out of your mouth, I will build my church. The confession of the lordship, the deity who Jesus is, that confession is the bedrock upon which the church is built. 
That's how important confession is. Well, I don't know about all this confession stuff. It just seems so unnatural. Really? Jesus said, this is the rock. This bold confession of who I am is the rock upon which the church is built. Glory to God. It's not just believing it, it's saying it. You can't overemphasize the power of saying it. And again, in the kingdom, in the things of God, there is no having anything if you're not willing to say it, if you're not aggressive in saying it, if you're not bold to say it, and if you don't say it from really believing it with all your heart. It's not just getting up and reading some confessions. I've talked about that on Wednesday night, just going through a bunch of confessions. Get them in you. Get the word in you. And then when you speak out of believing it with all of your heart, oh, I'm telling you, whoo, you know what'll happen? I'll tell you what won't happen. I'll tell you what won't happen. If you get it in you and you speak it boldly because you believe in your heart, I'll tell you what won't happen. The gates of hell will not prevail against what you just said. That's what won't happen. (laughs) The confession of faith in anything God says operates the same way. When you believe it in your heart and you declare it with your mouth, just like you declare Jesus is the son of God, he is the Christ, he is the Lord of all. Hell can't stop it. When you say, by his stripes I was healed, 1 Peter 2.24, if I was, I am. Devil, I'm not trying to get healed. I'm telling you, it's a fact. It's a Bible reality. It is truth. I was healed. I am healed. Glory to God. The gates of hell can't prevail against that. And further... Along that same line, Jesus said, you can bind and you can loose on the power of your words. The same power, the same action that got you, that took you out of the kingdom of darkness and, and, and caused the Holy Spirit to move and regenerate your spirit and make you a new man. That same power is available in, in anything you prohibit or anything you loose, anything you allow, anything you don't allow by your, by believing in your heart and speaking it with your mouth. That's why Jesus said, you can, you can speak to that mountain. If you believe it in your heart, you can speak to that mountain and say, be cast into the sea. Don't doubt and believe it in here. He said, you will have what you say. Whoo, what a powerful principle. And, and Christians sit around in church and hear this week in and week out and they go through their life and their daily life and they don't ever talk about it. They don't ever have any words don't have any words in their daily life. Don't necessarily have negative words, but don't have any. It's not going through life without any negative words. It's, it's speaking. It's speaking the truth. It's saying it. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. The gates of hell. The gates of hell can't stop you. 
can't stop the fulfillment. The, the gates of hell could no easier stop your healing from coming than it could stop a sinner from becoming a Christian who believed it and said it. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Well, let's stand up. Praise God. Thank you. I didn't take a whole lot of time. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And it's, and it's all in the name. It brings us back. It's all in the name. God has highly exalted the Lord Christ, the Son of God, and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, in other words, before the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Heaven and earth and under the earth. Glory to God. So when you take that name in faith, because of, of illumination, revelation in your heart, you believe it with your heart, with your, you're sold out. You believe it more than you believe anything. And you say it. Oh, glory to God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.